Guy here with a quick message before the latest pod here on Blood Red. 2020's been pretty rubbish, but here on Blood Red, we wanted to say thank you to all of our continued and loyal listeners. Part of that has been the creation of our Blood Red census, which you can find in the description of this podcast. All we want to know is what you think of our content and also give you the chance to shape how much and what you get to listen to in future. If you can check it out and fill it in, it won't take longer than two minutes to do. You can even manage it between your Christmas dinner and your pudding. It's in the description, as I say, and that's all. Enjoy the pod. Thanks for your support this year. We're all in it with each other and hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Merry Christmas and welcome to the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. The Reds are the Premier League's Christmas number one for a third year in a row. So we're here with a Christmas special to talk you through the big Liverpool talking points. We've Sunday's visit of Big Sam to get into Smiling Salah and our usual match predictions and team selections. So sit back, relax and step into Christmas with us here on Blood Red. Here with me, our three wise men bringing gifts of insight, opinion and debate. Our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, Connor Dunn and Dan Kay. Gorsty, I'll come to you first. 2020's been some year for the Reds, getting their hands finally on that Premier League title. How do you look back on it? Unforgettable. Uh, however however way you want to frame it, and obviously from a sporting context, it's been... A really incredible year, hasn't it? Liverpool starting in it as the end of the top of the Premier League, they're the champions, they're the best team in England, they're probably the best team in Europe alongside Bayern Munich. So, however way you want to frame it that way, it's um, it's really is a special time to be following Liverpool, to be supporting them, to be writing about them. Just an, an incredible period in Liverpool Football Club's history. Um, but then you kind of um, put that against the backdrop of everything that, that, that's gone on in, in real life and, and the events of it and I think Jordan Henderson was saying something similar earlier this week that um, it's it's been difficult to kind of to be overly joyous with the achievements because he knows that it's come on against the backdrop of so much kind of sadness and, and surrealness and um, let's just hope for um, for a brighter 2021 and slowly but surely we can start uh, filling up Anfield a little bit more because I think that has been a, a real bright spot over the last few weeks getting 2,000 back in Anfield and creating a bit of bit more of an atmosphere that hasn't been there for, for the last six months and uh, onwards and upwards, shall we say. Yeah, Connor, as Gorsty said there, I suppose for, for 2020, it was mission accomplished with the Reds finally getting their hands on the Premier League title 2019, of course, another European Cup and being world champions. But it was all about winning the Premier League this year, albeit, of course, we know what's gone on externally with the fans not being able to, uh, to be there to celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... 2020 will be the year that you think what better time to be a Liverpool fan but then 2020 is what worst time to actually be a human being on planet earth um just a crazy juxtaposition in the fortunes of Liverpool Football Club to the fortunes of absolutely everybody away from that um as Klopp said in his presser it will always be a year that every Liverpool fan looks back on so fondly just because of how incredible that Premier League season was finally getting that monkey off the bat securing that first Premier League crown um, and in such a commanding fashion after going so close to City the year before and obviously falling 97-98 one point and a game of millimetres with that ball not crossing the line etc it almost felt a little bit like your favourite heavyweight fighter had fought the very last round and been knocked out in the final second 
he might have won on points earlier on. And then you thought, can he can he go again? Can they go again? And obviously, you know, this team is just incredible. And they spoke about today in the press conference about when things get really tough, they have such a fighting mentality and such a great family bond in all the players and the staff. And you just saw that. And the fact they're able just to pick themselves up in the, the start of the season and just absolutely hammer everybody and then sit in throughout that entire lockdown period this year, waiting just to get over the line must have been such a tough mental drain on them. It just proves so, so much just how incredible they all are at what they do and the mentality they talk about. It just is such a real thing. And I think that was just one of the most impressive things to me um, throughout 2020 for, for Liverpool and long may that continue, obviously. Yeah, Dan, what have you made of it? <clears throat> well, you know, like the lads have said, it's 2020 is a year that's left its mark on all of us. In uh, you know, in a variety of different ways, um, you know, it, I've used this expression a couple of times. It, you know, I, I think when we look back on it, it will be a, a certain sense of bittersweet because you know, for someone who of, of my age who's been following Liverpool for as long as I have, this holy grail of a nineteenth league title, um, you know, is something I've been waiting you know virtually my entire adolescence and, and early, early adult life for. You know, to see Liverpool progress to it gradually over the, you know, what, the five years we've had of Jurgen Klopp now. European finals, winning the European Cup, falling just short, as Connor mentioned, on 97 points. And then absolutely blitzing the following season. What was it? 26 wins and one draw from the first 27 league matches. You know, that will never, ever, ever be done again. There's, there's never been a more dominant league title win. But to you know, but to be to have the opportunity of not not just being there in person to to see it as only you know forty fifty thousand lucky people would be, but to be able to celebrate it as a community as a city, which is one of the, you know, the that communion between supporters and and team and city is one of the the most special things about success. So so to be deprived of that, you know, it's it'd be lying if I say it, did, it didn't hurt a bit, and and it still doesn't hurt. hurt it still hurts a bit now, but the reality is. Liverpool are the best team in the country, as they've proved again in, in recent weeks. Absolutely one of the best teams in Europe, as Gorsley mentioned, and hopefully they'll get the chance to prove that in the new year. And, you know, I think possibly the silver lining to all this is the fact that they've broken the mental barrier of winning, you know, with the Champions League, with the, you know, the World Club Cup and the Premier League. But all the noise is coming out of Anfield. You get the impression that it's only actually made them hungrier for more success. And the fact that they themselves, as players, staff, managers, whatever, they were deprived of that opportunity to, to celebrate it with, <clears throat> with everybody else in the way that obviously they, they really enjoyed doing following Madrid, hopefully has fostered this kind of determination to go and win it again. And please God, by the time we get to spring this year, hopefully... What you know, if and when Liverpool do win something, it will be able to be marked in the the time honoured tradition. Yeah, I hope that certainly is the case. Gorsty, come back to to you and just sort of on the calendar year and as it comes to an end. Obviously, started the year on top, Christmas number one for a third year in a row in the Premier League. It's never been done before, I suppose. Whilst you don't win anything for being top at Christmas, and this year, obviously, not as many games have been played before Christmas. It just sort of, as Dan was alluding to there, just shows the level of dominance that this Liverpool team are continually able to reach. It does, and, and I think that that's where the argument comes in about this team kind of being up there with some of the best in Liverpool's history. It's not 
for a one season thing, it's it's not really a flash in the pan. It's just sustained excellence over the course of three or four seasons now, and and it's going to be a really interesting debate when Klopp walks away and one or two move on from the playing squad and just what kind of holes and, and achievements this squad has. Um, and and I think they will be able to to say that they're up there with some of the best in in the club's all time history. And and um, Klopp, you know, he's obviously right in saying that you don't get anything for being top of Christmas, but just the fact that they're there for the third successive season, it's just an indicator that this is a team who uh, who, who are sticking around for the long haul. And, uh, you know, if um, if you finish above the this season, then you're going to be uh, Premier League champion. I'm convinced that. I've said all along, even with, with the injury problems that they've had, they're still the team to beat. And, um, you know, looking at the Premier League table now, that, that, uh, that, that is just proof of that. And that's the thing, Connor, isn't it? That Liverpool have now got to a stage where they are the dominant force. And as Gorsty says, that anyone who can finish above Liverpool, that is now the side who will win the Premier League title after years and years of waiting for Liverpool to actually sort of mount continued challenges for the league title. Yeah, well, they are the power now, aren't they? You know, you used to look at City and think they were always going to score always waiting they, they still play incredible football but you every single time Liverpool step onto that pitch I have no doubt they're going to score at least once and that is just something incredible really because when you've got the world's best goalkeeper the world's best centre-back obviously out injured at the moment you, you're just going to keep winning football games with the talent they've got and you think about and it came up in the press conference actually you think about the seven goals Liverpool conceded against Aston Villa and they still have the best goal difference in the Premier League right now it's unbelievable considering what they've played 16 games and they've somehow managed to accrue all of those goals back and some and uh, yeah so you know they score loads they don't concede many and the players are starting to come back the squad they have is incredible to deal with the injuries they've had is incredible and if you were looking at that hearing the news that you know Thiago's just about to return to full training Oxo Chamberlain's coming back Cater's you know come back to a thing and Jones has got form. It's just so many players in there that Liverpool haven't had for the start of the season are still top and are still dominating. And I think you'd be looking at that for a lot of other teams and thinking, I'm not sure what we can do. Um, but it's a lovely feeling to have as a Liverpool fan because there's been a lot of years where I've gone into a lot of games thinking, ah, is the best noise I can describe that as. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, stick with me on this one, Dan. But my advent calendar the other day told me that the Beatles have had more Christmas number ones than anyone. I am a big kid, hence for our viewers, they can see me in a, a stupid Christmas jumper. But it's something about the city. Is it the culture of Liverpool that being Christmas number one means something in Liverpool there for a third year in a row? Well, you know, Liverpool is a city that's known globally and defined in many ways by by its music and its football. And the two go hand in hand and... Uh, I think I heard somewhere it, it's the first time it's happened in the Premier League era that um, the, the, the team's been top three years on the bounce at Christmas. I mean, it, it, at the end of the day, it's a nice little thing to have. I'd happily swap being sixth on Christmas if you could guarantee me number, number one spot in May. That's when it really counts. Um, you know, there's, there's been a couple of occasions. You know, I, I can remember even four or five years ago, the, the, the Luis Suarez season, when, you know, the Brendan Rodgers year when, when we fell just short. And we were top at Christmas that year. I think we'd be, remember uh, a good win over Cardiff. Yeah, it's only twice in the last decade that a team has been top at Christmas and not won it, and that is Liverpool. And both times were Liverpool. That's right. Well, yeah, I, I think the, the the first the other one might have been nineteen ninety seven 
96-7, which is the season they finished fourth in a two-horse race. So to be honest, a couple of years ago, I was almost getting to the point where kind of like, I don't want it to be, to be top at Christmas because it's a jinx. But you know, like I mentioned before, you, you can't get away from the fact that Madrid, even though it's 2019, that really was the key moment in this modern era, breaking through that mental barrier of success, breaking through that ceiling. And once they've done that, that, uh, yeah, that I'm, I'm sure it's that that's helped give them that kind of mental resilience, that fortitude to be able to cope with the various setbacks that they've had on and off the field since then. Because they're proven winners. They, 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 know, they're, they know they're winners. The difference maybe is, is that um, the, 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 there's been a good documentary knocking around Sky the last couple of days about Dennis Law, who obviously yeah, didn't have anything to do with Liverpool, but he's one of Bill Shankly's favourite players. So it's absolutely worth a watch. But it's always struck me how, you know, as, as everyone knows, United won the European Cup in 1968, 10 years after Munich. But that, that was like the high point for that team. And, that, and it's almost like they scaled Everest. And that was it. And they, they dipped after that. And, and in, you know, in, it's an incredible thing to think about, particularly for younger listeners. They were relegated six years later. The, the difference between that and Liverpool, the, the current Liverpool could not be more different. If anything, success has only made them hungrier for success. And, and that's what we're seeing. Week after, you know, as Connor pointed out, you know, almost everything that could have gone wrong in the first half of this season has gone wrong. And yet, they're four points clear at the top of the Premier League with a better goal difference than anybody else. Qualified for the Champions League as group winners with a game to spare and looking very, very ominous for the rest of the competition. And, you know, I don't think any of us really could ask for more than that as Liverpool, as Liverpool supporters. So you've, we've just got to hope that, you know, particularly get a few more of these players back and hopefully get a bit more of a fairer crack of the whip in terms of luck and fortune with injuries. I don't see any reason why there could not be one or two or even more trophies appearing at Anfield in 2021. FSG want the double, don't they? They want the Champions League, Premier League double in one season. That is one of their like major aims. And obviously, when you're, hearing, well. yeah, when you're hearing that from your owners and your best players, it's, it's exciting, really. Yeah. What do you want to hear, isn't it? No, definitely. And I was just going to say to, to you, Gorsty, that so we talk about Liverpool being the dominant force in the Premier League, not too distant European Cup winners, of course. And yet you still sort of see things knocking around regarding Mohamed Salah and his future. If you were any player at Liverpool, you wouldn't want to be going anywhere, would you? Absolutely not. No, I, I find it quite strange how it's just, just thrown out there that Barcelona and Real Madrid are automatically going to be bigger poles than Liverpool. Um, I think Real Madrid are probably the, the biggest club in the world, aren't they? And, and Barcelona aren't too, too far behind them. But at the moment, both of them are in kind of massive states of flux and transition periods and Liverpool are, are as settled as any team in, in world football and as accomplished and as um, and, and as good. So um, it does it does make me a little disheartened when it's um, even something as, as mild as Mohamed Salah's answer to AS last week when he said, you know, um, both of them are, are great clubs. Um, so, you know, why why not type of thing? But um, it, it, it does, it, if, if I mean, years ago, you couldn't really argue with it. If Barcelona wanted a Liverpool player, then if you wanted a Javier Mascherano or Real Madrid wanted a, a Javier Lonza, then you kind of just had to accept Liverpool's place in, in the food chain. But it's, it shouldn't be like that anymore. I think that's, it's often just, I don't know if there's too much talk behind it, that actually both of these clubs are massively behind where Liverpool are on the pitch at the moment. So, it's not as, as black and white as if Real Madrid or Barcelona want you, then you're gone. I think there's a lot of um, thought to be had in between making that decision. And 
I don't think Salah said anything out of line or untoward or I don't think it was a come and get me play or anything like that. It was just fairly straight down the line. When speaking to a, a Spanish publication, he was always going to get asked that question and I thought he handled it quite diplomatically and um, didn't really um, do anything to put um, their nose out of joint or, or Liverpool's. What's your take on it, Connor? Um, yeah, I agree in terms of, I don't actually really think he said very much. He deflected it a little bit. Um, why not in the future? You never know the state you're going to be in. If Liverpool, all of a sudden, if FSG start running into ruin with the Red Sox and have to sell Liverpool's biggest asset, that is Salah. Fact. He will go for the most money. He's a goal scorer. Goals cost money. Somebody like Real Madrid coming in maybe need to be in a bit of a financial benefit situation than they are now. But a couple of years down the line, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. He's, he's Salah, what he said, is in Liverpool ha- Liverpool's hands. Maybe not totally, but you can't predict the future. And it's, it's just because of the rarity of the interview that it exploded so much. It was kind of a bit innocuous, really, what he said, but a lot has been made of it. And, you know, also what he said in that interview was, I want to break all the records at Liverpool. I want to win every trophy at Liverpool. <laughs> And everyone's just like, oh, yeah, of course he's going to say that. He's a Liverpool player. But he he has said that. That is what he wants. And you can see how much he wants to win at Liverpool. When he came on against Palace, you could see that Manny was fuming. Salah wanted to score. He just they have such a desire to win for this club and play for Klopp. And, yeah, just a bit something out of nothing. Um, big headlines, but no real substance, to be honest. Is it, Dan, part of the territory being a global superstar that if he's not scoring 30 goals in a season, all the talk is, oh, Salah was a one-trick pony. But then if he does get back to those levels, as he has done or shown glimpses of this season, that then all of a sudden he's a transfer target for Barcelona and Real Madrid? It's part of the territory in terms of Salah, but it's also part of the territory in terms of Liverpool as a club and in terms of Real Madrid and Barcelona as clubs and also in terms of the football media transfer industry. You know, we're, we're, what, ten, you know, a week away from the January transfer window opening. You know, he's 28 years old. Um, so, and, you know, he's, what, two and a half years from, from, from the end of his contract. So, it, you know, Connor made a good point there about the fact that he also said he wants to win everything with Liverpool and break records with Liverpool. That part of the interview was very conveniently ignored. By, by the sections of the, of the media that wanted to push the, the Real Madrid-Barcelona line. Now, obviously, we, we probably have maybe a, a slightly, slightly better understanding than, than the layman about how these things work. But as Connor said, when you actually read what he actually said, it, was, it really was really quite tame. The question was put to him. He was never, he was never ever going to say, no, I, wouldn't, I would rather play in the Beta Homes League than, than play for one of those joke clubs. He was never going to say that, was he? He's always, you know, he's always going to kind of... <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be a lie, wouldn't it? Um, he, you know, he's, he's he's always got to kind of keep his options. Not say keep keep his options open, but give a kind of fairly neutral type of answer. I just think it's part of the territory when you when you're a big player playing for big clubs, you're going to be talked about constantly, particularly in a season like this season when um, because of the the nature of the world at the moment, people are desperate for talk, desperate for stuff to talk to. Desperate for stuff to talk about, rather desperate for for lines to hang a, a, a story or an angle on. <coughs> I thought it was quite telling, really, that um, you know the only thing he said publicly since the interview was a tweet he posted on Monday, which was just a picture of him smiling. And I think, in many ways, that said everything. You know, 
the, the, the reality is Real Madrid and Barcelona, of course, are huge global clubs, but this isn't 2014-15 when the likes of Luis Suarez, Raheem Sterling or anyone, their head would automatically be turned. You know, Salah, yeah, all right, he could probably earn more money by going there, certainly to Real Madrid, but would he have a better chance of winning the, the big trophies? I don't particularly think so at the moment. And Salah strikes me as somebody that isn't particularly motivated by money. What he wants is trophies, goals, success and glory. And the best place for him to achieve that for the foreseeable future is Anfield. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Not sure we actually talk about him enough, of course, the Mohamed Salah and and what he does. Obviously, he reached 100 Liverpool goals with his his goal in the derby earlier in the season. Uh, sort of third fewest games sort of to, to get to 100 goals for Liverpool. Where are we at with Mohamed Salah and his Liverpool career? Obviously, he had that unbelievable first season, but ever since he has consistently been a world-class operator. Yeah, I think you'd be talking a lot more about Salah now if he did his Liverpool career in reverse. So, if he scored 23 goals in his first season and then 27 and then 44 and now he's on 16. You'd be talking about him as though he's one of the greatest footballers in the world, which he is. But as you say, guy, he doesn't quite get that talk about him as often as he should, which uh, I'm never, I can never quite put my finger on as to why that is. He's undoubtedly one of Liverpool's best ever players of the Premier League era. I think he's got a really good chance of finishing his Liverpool career as their all-time top scorer in the Premier League era. I think he's probably round about 50 short of, of Robbie Fowler, something like that. Um, so why why not, at the age he is now, with a good couple of years left on his contract, can he not carry on scoring goals at the rate he is and just leave the, the club as one of the, the greatest ever players to have, have put on a red shirt? He really is that good. And um, look, as, as long as he's here, he's, he's, he's someone who should be adored, admired, cheered. Um, he's, he's just he's a superstar and I think he's probably the, the superstar in this Liverpool team. I think in terms of what you're, what you're known as off the pitch, you know, he's he's he's, um, he's the poster boy for, for Egypt, isn't he? Which is around about 90 million population. He's someone who um, you see on front of magazine covers, New York New York billboards, adverts for Lionel Messi. Um, he's just a, an icon and, um, and Liverpool are, are lucky to have him. Yeah, and I suppose, Connor, actually on that point Gorsley makes there, when we look back on this, we speak about Madrid and, of course, going and winning that European Cup. He scored the penalty early on in, in that game. I suppose when we do look back in maybe 10 years at the end of this decade, we do a decade review. He probably will be or, and, and can be, should he crucially, obviously, decide not to move to Barcelona or Real Madrid as much as we've sort of just dismissed that. Can sort of be era-defining for Liverpool, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Just one last point in the whole like, transfer scenario. I think you only need to look at someone like Thiago in the summer. He is a world-class midfielder. You know, he's including all the FIFA best teams. He's fellow professionals have voted for him as one of the best. And he wasn't going to Real Madrid. He wasn't going to Barcelona. He came to Liverpool. You know, Liverpool are in a totally different place now to probably I have really ever seen them in my 27 years. They are in incredibly... Look, where you'd either pick Liverpool or Bayern Munich as a choice to go to any club in the whole world right now, wouldn't you? And that is just an incredible place to be. But that is because of players like Salah. You know, these last three years and the start of this season as well have just been unbelievable. And as Gorsi said, if it was in reverse, it'd be such a different story because that 44-goal season was just superhuman, really. And watching him do that, you, you kind of thought, pretty impossible to do that again for anybody no matter who you are 
So you're always going to have to try and live up to that first ridiculous standard. And obviously this season, he is better than the start of that season, which is incredible in itself. But, you know, the fact he's managed to do that, there's been a couple of transfers for Liverpool that have kind of defined these last sort of five years. And Mane obviously started it, but bringing Salah in and the way he just exploded has just pushed Liverpool onto another level. And it made them a club where big players like Alisson, like Van Dijk, wanted to come and play to really just complete the whole unit and complete the whole team. And yeah, he is just a really, really special player that, again, I can't put my finger on it either just to why he doesn't get the absolute adoration that he clearly deserves. No, definitely. Uh, Gorsty, let's let's look ahead then to Sunday's visit of West Bromwich Albion. And we'll start with some team news. Obviously, we'll do our team selector at the end. But Jurgen Klopp saying that Thiago Alcantara, albeit sort of pictured training, won't be featuring for the Reds, but was very, very buoyant about uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's chances and obviously what he's been showing in training. Yeah, and I was a bit disappointed when he said that about Thiago, I'm not going to lie, because uh, I know Klopp likes it to, to the point where if you play... If you have two sessions with the team, then then you're considered for. for sorry, you've got the dog trying to chew my arm off here. This is it. What happens when you work from home? Um, so I, I was I thought if he was back in training yesterday and there was enough time in between those games that he might be slightly in with a shout of getting a, getting a call. But obviously it's come too soon for him. But uh, great news on the other two. Great to have James Milner back. Um, the Iron Man who surprisingly pulled up with a hamstring, didn't he? T- told you how kind of bad Liverpool's injury problems did get. And um, Jair Antikiri, the lesser spotted Jair Antikiri, who, to be fair, was in good form before his injury. So uh, hopefully those two are back in contention for a Sunday and they uh, can play a part. I hope you're not out with injury with y- your fingers getting bitten off by the dog. We'll have to uh, keep, yeah. keep an eye on that one. What a pro. <laughs> yeah, what a pro. He's kept going there. Connor, what do you make of the uh, the team news? Yeah, I suppose it is disappointing that Thiago won't be considered for selection, but he has been out for an awful long time. Yeah, definitely. I think that is the recent point. He has been out since October um, and he didn't really feature before that because of COVID as well. So he's kind of had a bit of a stop start to his Liverpool career. Um, and I understand why they don't want to rush him. They don't really need to with a couple of others coming back now. Again, it would have been nice to introduce him back into it against West Brom because I doubt you're going to get a real grill in there, are you, as Liverpool? Um, disappointing, but understandable it's just when you saw those pictures of him kicking a ball around in training you think that's a bit exciting what can he do and then training on Christmas day he'll train with the team as well but just not quite enough for West Brom unfortunately but as you said there to Gorsky really buoyant about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain Klopp saying that he you know had a really good session with the team an excellent session with the team today and then asked the fitness coaches if he could do even more work and that is just really great to hear because I think you kind of forget because of how unlucky Oxley Chamberlain has been, just how good he was for Liverpool in that Champions League run um, before the Madrid, no, for the Kiev final. He was incredible. Um, and then just really unfortunate timed injuries, but he'll be such an amazing asset when he's back at the peak of his powers. And he gives that the extra element of shooting from outside the box, having a real drive to get forward with the ball, really always looking forward. And it's just another element in Liverpool's midfield. And you think somebody like that could be absolutely perfect for West Brom, you know, that defensive block, and he can kind of break those lines down. Again, Thiago would have been also amazing for that. But yeah, another great option for Oxy Chain. And as Gorsi said, really good to see Milner back and great to see Jordan Shakiri out of the dungeon, as all of the fans on Twitter say. 
Yeah, Dan, it is one of those, isn't it, with, with Ox? The dynamism he can bring, kind of referencing that that run in the Champions League that he had. And I suppose had Liverpool got past Atletico Madrid, I know it's all hypothetical, but last season he played a key part in that game that obviously in the end Liverpool fell short. But he was beginning last season and obviously got the injury in pre-season to show exactly what he can do. There is so much potential there with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Massively. I mean, you know, I'm certainly not one that's going to be throwing brickbats at Jurgen Klopp. But I do think one of the few mistakes he's made during his tenure at Liverpool was taking Oxlade-Chamberlain off during that Atletico Madrid second leg because I thought he was the best player on the pitch that night. And um, if you remember, it was Jordan Henderson's first game back after he'd pulled the hamstring in the first leg. And to me, he was the obvious first change. It, you know, it, He's not had the best of luck, has he? You know, As Connor said, that he was a, a key part in that first season getting Liverpool to the final before he got that very unfortunate injury in the first leg of the semi against Roma. And I've, I've always thought, you know, even taking Sergio Ramos and Loris Karius out of it, if, he, if he'd been available in Kiev, it might have been a different result. He obviously took a year to get back, played his part last season, you know, and like I say, just seemed to be kind of hitting his straps and becoming a key part of the side again when the pandemic happened. And then he was, you know, in and out the side a little bit in the last couple of months of the season. Scored, scored, he scored the final goal around through, didn't he, against Chelsea in the five, in the five three. And then obviously, unfortunately, picked up this injury in pre-season, and we've not seen him since. But he will be a huge asset for Liverpool going into the second half of the season. You know, they, they've coped with, as we've said, they've coped with the very specific and grueling demands of this campaign remarkably well so far. But it doesn't really get much easier. If, if you look at the fixture list for January, February, even before the Champions League restarts in mid-February, there aren't many free midweeks because there's an awful lot of Premier League matches to squeeze in. So this intensive period of matches, Liverpool will need as many quality bodies as they can at their disposal. And you know, Oxford Chamberlain very much falls into that category. Everything you hear about him indicates that he's, he's, he's a cracking Glad to have around. He's a great. He's a, a great and vocal member of the squad. Good you know, TV presenter as well, isn't he? Say again. A good TV presenter as well. Did you watch that video when um, the new yeah. training ground opened? He was great in that. Yeah, he's 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 a talented lad. He's got many strings to his bow, and 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 I think that's you know having his involvement. I think can be a real. Um, a real trump card for Liverpool going into the second half of the campaign because there are going to be more injuries. I mean, you'd like to think, please God, there's not going to be so many serious long-term six, nine months ones. But just inevitably, because of the nature of the games, the nature of the way Liverpool play, there are going to be people coming in, coming out from time to time. If anyone deserves a break with injury-wise, I don't think there's few many players, certainly in the Liverpool squad, that deserve more of a break than, than Oxlade-Chamberlain. And hopefully 2021 might be the year that he really goes on to show the undoubted potential that, that he's got and has shown us glimpses of so far. Yeah, definitely. Dan, I'll, I'll stay with you. Let's move on to, to West Brom. Fireman Sam is in for a relegation battle with the Baggies. Last manager in the Premier League to win at Anfield, but the Reds don't have much to worry about here, do they? Well, you know, Jurgen Klopp certainly won't be saying that. Um, you know, Allardyce does have a, a record of getting results against Liverpool in the past. He spoke quite glowingly about Klopp yesterday, uh, or the day before, whenever it was, saying that, you know, what he could only admire, what you know, what the levels Klopp has taken Liverpool to. And while at the same time, you know, quite cutely kind of downplaying his own chances of getting a result. I've, I've only just come in, so 
you can't really expect too much of me, which is classic. Well, not just classic advertise, classic football manager speak, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Down, you know, take the pressure off himself. But I, I, very, I doubt he'll be saying that in the dressing room at 20 past four on Sunday afternoon. And to me, to be honest, that's another reason why I'm quite pleased for Thiago to sit this one out and just get a, a get his match fitness up to speed. Because as we saw in, in Michelin only a couple of weeks ago, supposedly straightforward matches, and obviously the Michelin game was a dead rubber, doesn't necessarily mean the opposition aren't going to be throwing tackles in. Obviously, there was a few heavy tackles that uh, that night in Denmark and Liverpool and I'm missing Diogo Jota because of it. So Liverpool will have to be professional and earn the right to show their quality. But, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years that Liverpool, by and large, take each game on its merits, don't take anything for granted. And, you know, like, they, they should have far too much for West Brom, but... If they give if they give West Brom an inch, they'll take a mile. So Liverpool need to start well and keep the foot on the throat. Gorsley, I can see you there. You've not been toppled by the dog. Talking of the the West Brom game, and even thinking to the to the West Ham game, and sort of teasing our team selection, we'll get into shortly. Is it maybe a game for for Nat Phillips at the heart of that defence? I'm sure there will be plenty of long balls forward to be headed out from the heart of defence. Do you know what? I didn't actually think of that, but yeah, I think that's a good point. I was just assuming that because there's been eight days in between games, that it's going to be Matip and, and Fabinho again. But that's that that's not a bad shout. I mean, I think Nat Phillips has been flawless when he's come in and played a couple of games that he has. Um, really done himself proud, and I think he's shown that um, he could have a career, you know, somewhere. Um, somewhere quite substantial in, in the long term. He's, he's still only 23, and I think if he gets a few more games under his belt between now and the end of the season, then clubs will be looking at him and thinking that, that he could do a job for them. Um, he obviously nearly left, and he would, I think it was Bristol, Bristol City over the summer, and, and didn't and stayed to, to play the important games that he has. So that that is an option. Um, and th- th- there's no question, is there, that the centre-back is the, is the kind of... Um, the, the weak point for Liverpool, they've only got two fit senior centre-backs and one of them is a defensive midfielder and the other one is someone who, who has struggled with fitness problems for, for quite a while now. So um, this might be a good opportunity to uh, to make that change in. And if you're asking who, who would I take out, it's a difficult one because I think Fabinho has been fantastic, probably Liverpool's player of the season along with Andy Robertson and, and Mo Salah. Um, but then again, he has played a lot of football then we know that Joel Matip is someone who's not the most durable. So that's a, a difficult one if you, go, you if you are going to make that change. Connor, I'll let you have your say on Aladici coming to, to Anfield. We know probably that the tactics he's going to look to sort of uh, bring with him as he did during his, his stay at Everton. No, no real love lost between Liverpool fans and Sam Allardyce. No, certainly not. And obviously Allardyce in the week can help himself but have a little dig and say he's coming to top all the big boys and everything else when he first joined. It's just just classic Allardyce, really. Um, the whole situation with the West Brom appointments is strange, especially earning that draw at City and then being sat next morning, obviously a pre-done change. I don't know if you're going to get that typical manager bounce that every team seems to get because of just the way it was all done. So that was a consideration, I thought. First, and I was like, hang on a minute, just the nature of Bilic's sacking and how it all left. I don't know if the players are going to be absolutely buzzing to have a new manager in, um, especially when teams kind of look to Big Sam 
to save them from relegation. It's almost like you're signing the death warrant, isn't it? Like we're going to, they know they're going to be in a scrap, but there is other ways of playing than the way Big Sam plays football. But, you know, I'm fully expecting Liverpool to, as Dan said, start really well and keep, keep attacking, keep foot on throat and just keep going and going and going at them and, and breaking down those defensive lines and that low block that Allardyce's teams will inevitably put in. I thought it was interesting that Klopp said that he'd been watching old Everton games of Allardyce's manager to kind of get an idea of what he's going to do. Yeah, certainly. And to be fair, he's been out of the game a little while, quite fitting, I suppose, as you sort of saying there, Allardyce the saviour, that we're, we're talking about him in our Christmas special here on Blood Red. But anyway, <laughs> I love it, yeah, let's, let's get on to our team selection then um, before we, we wrap things up. Dan, I'll come to you for your choice between the sticks and your back four as well. Uh, well, Alisson's a no-brainer in goal. Um, I said the, you know, the four, particularly having had an eight-day break, and and I think that the following fixtures are relatively kind, aren't they? You know, sometimes in Christmas festive periods, you can end up playing like three games in five days. But I think Liverpool's three games are quite well. It's, it's like a three-day gap and a four-day gap. A lot of travelling, though. Yeah, yeah. New, New, Newcastle away and Southampton as well. Southampton, Southampton away, Southampton, yeah. yeah. They travel the furthest to play the Boxing Day 28th and second game out of any team in the Prem. I think they travel 820 miles and it's next Leicester on 666. But then you've got Chelsea travelling 20 miles because they've got an away game against Arsenal on Boxing Day and then two home games. So kind fixtures, but a lot of travelling. Well, they they could maybe make the best of it. I remember chatting to an Everton mate not too long ago about their famous season in in the mid-80s when they won everything over Christmas. I think they had Sunderland away and Ipswich away, which probably couldn't be more further apart, and they won both of them. So, yeah, when when you're winning, it's not too much of an issue, isn't it? Hopefully, Liverpool will be able to keep doing that. Um, Yeah, so the full-backs pick themselves. I'd be half inclined to throw... We we, we talked about Matt Phillips there, who's who's certainly done, done nothing wrong. I was lucky enough to be at Anfield for that Tottenham game, you know, just over a week ago. And Reese Williams blew my mind. He was phenomenal that night. Um, and I think he's got a big future in the game. And if if Liverpool are looking to preserve a little bit of legs, um, I think, you know, I, I, for my money, I think he, I think he's ahead of Matt Phillips in the pecking order now. But, you know, Klopp may be wanting to kind of get his first choice, you know, not take any risks and, and, and get his first choice centre-back powering pairing out there, in which case it would be Fabinho and Matip. Fabinho and Matip. Any sort of uh, objections to make to that, Conor Augusti? I think it's just to be honest. I think I'm going to go with, with Matt Phillips and give... Let's give Fabinho a rest. He's played a lot of football, out of position. Um, he could do a little bit of, a, of, a, of an extended breather. I'd like to see Reese Williams. <laughs> so three different pairings. As Dan said, he, I thought he was probably one of the best players for Liverpool against two of the most in-form attackers in the country in Son and Kane against Tottenham. Um, he's 19. If Liverpool are going to look to develop him into a, a world-class player, maybe alongside Van Dijk in a couple of years or alongside Gomez or however it goes, I think putting him in for games and giving him senior experience is, is, a, is a great opportunity to do so. And he didn't really put a foot wrong against Tottenham, so that's my choice. And I probably would rest Fabinho here. He's played a lot. And again, he's been sensational but just needs to have a little break Connor I'll stay with you then and you talk us through your midfield you'd go with well it might be a bit harsh on Jones probably considering he was rested 
last week as well, but I'm going to put Oxlade-Chamberlain in. Just the way Klopp was talking about him, I think he's going to be, if he's in great form, he could be one of the ones that really unlocks West Brom and really has a go at them um, in a mid midfield three with Ginny and Hendo. Yeah, definitely. Gorsty, you concur on that or are you going to tell us another another three? Uh, well, I was when we I was thinking about it before. I was thinking about Thiago, but obviously it's going to come too soon for him. I can see the, I can see the shelf for Oxley Chamberlain. He's only played fifteen minutes, hasn't he? But I think this is a an ideal opportunity for him to start from the from the beginning, get as close to ninety as he can before he, he will inevitably tire in the second half. So I think um, Oxley Chamberlain's a good shout with the uh, with the Iron Men that are Wijnaldum and uh, and Henderson. But um, maybe. But then again, maybe navigator for Wijnaldum. That, that, that's a difficult one because I thought Cater was very good against Palace. Understated. Played 90 minutes and he hasn't been able to do that a lot. Wijnaldum is another one who's played a lot. So, yeah, go on. I'm, I'm going to go with Henderson, Cater and, um, and Oxley chamberlain Lovely attacking intent. Yeah. yeah. And twisted your own arm there, Gorsley. It, yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable how many choices we've had. For weeks we've had no one to pick, Dan, <laughs> but all of a sudden we've got all these different combinations. What would your midfield three be? I know. It's, it's like try to pick your, your, take your turn out of the Christmas quality streets, isn't it? Um, I'm inclined to... I, I agree with the Oxlade chamberlain shout, but I also agree with giving Ginny a rest shout, uh, even though it'll probably send the transfer bungers into overdrive with January days away. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's hardly missed a minute, hasn't he? he missed the consistency, and um, he'll certainly have a big part to play in the games coming up to Christmas, not least with the trip to his old stomping guard at St. James's Park uh, next weekend. So, yeah, for me, Henderson, Chamberlain and Naby Keita, who, who I agree, look decent at Palace. And I think you know, can, Chamberlain can play that a little bit further forward. Keita can do some of the donkey work and the positional stuff in midfield that, that may, maybe not to the same level that Juan Alden can. But I think it's important we... You know, Klopp gets as many minutes and as many legs as he can before the season really starts to get into the the business end, you know, the last third, February, March, when push really comes to shove. So, yeah, that would be my three. Just thinking there, exactly what you were saying, about getting as many minutes and legs as possible. I'm going to swap Milner for Robertson. I think Robertson deserves a rest and Milner's back, isn't he? He's back in full training. Mm-hmm. Don't, tempt Gorsty, don't tempt Gorsty. Don't tempt Gorsty. He'll chop and change again. <laughs> Just, yeah, I just think he might be an interesting shout just to give Robertson a really well-deserved rest with Simicass out injured. No, good point. Very good point. Gorsty, we'll come to you for the top end of the pitch. The front three, is it the front three? I think so. I thought Minamino was, was good against Palace. He was got, got a straight goal in the Premier League and got 90 minutes behind them. But um, I just think it looked like all three of them were, were you know, back in form. Salah's been in form all season, obviously, but... Firmino had a great week and Mane got his first goal in 10. So I just think if, if those three are red hot, you know, they could put the game to bed inside half an hour, couldn't they? So um, they're going to be my three. Yeah, certainly. Dan, what about you? Yeah, the front three, you can't look past them. Um, Minamino, Divock Origi, Liverpool have got a few options there. But um, I think the three of them have shown in the last couple of weeks how hungry they are for goals. And I think they'll be licking their lips at the chance of getting stuck into the baggies. Yeah, certainly. And uh, Connor, hopefully, for Roberto Firmino, the Reds will be attacking the cop in the second half and he won't have to run the length of the pitch to celebrate <laughs> with the fans that are there in the last minute. In 90 plus, yeah, absolutely. 
um, amazing to see the passion. And I thought, well, Klopp obviously spoke about Firmino, talking to him and conversations they've had and heart to heart they've had about Firmino wanting to score more goals. He obviously got two the other day and he seems to be back in form. You're never going to drop Mane to the bench after that reaction. Salah's been scoring loads, so can't wait to see them all, to be honest. Brilliant. Match predictions then, Connor, what, what's the score going to be? 3-0 uh, Liverpool. Gorsty? 2-0, uh, standard. And Dan? 5-0. Five nil. What a Love what it. a result! Yeah, what a result that would be, and that is the way to that is the way to wrap up the Christmas special. Before we go, though, a gentle reminder to fill in our blood red census. What you like about blood red? Who or what you'd like to see more of, or even less of, if that is your way? Uh, we want you to sort of help shape what is to come here on the blood red channel. You can find the link in the description. Please do let us know what you think. Before we go, though, Merry Christmas to you. However, you're managing to celebrate this year, and as ever, thanks for joining us here on Blood Red. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.